Welcome to the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. I am your host, Sharon Betters. You know, after the fatal car accident of our 16-year-old son, Mark, and his friend, Kelly, God kept many of his promises of comfort and presence through other parents who had lost children who were ahead of us in what was a, a terrible grief journey. When we didn't know how our hearts could keep on beating, these precious people stepped back into their own pain to help us find our way. And as the dark clouds of sorrow slowly lifted, we knew we wanted to be that same source of hope for others. But but not just for bereaved parents, anyone going through a life crisis. We knew the importance of someone ahead of us in our journey that could call back and say, God is sovereign and you can trust him. And so our vision at Mark Inc. is to offer that help and hope to hurting people. And one of the ways that we fulfill that vision is by offering redemption stories like the one you are about to hear on this podcast. Like many of us, my guest today, Dr. Michaela Albertson, aimed to be exemplary in all she did, marriage, motherhood, her career, but her seemingly perfect life began crumbling when she realized her doctor husband was addicted to drugs and nothing was perfect after all. Listen in as Michaela shares her story of striving and suffering in the hunt for perfection and found that embracing her gritty, messy, complicated, tough, ordinary life led her on a journey of healing, redemption, renewal. Michaela is not only a family practitioner, she's also a wife and mother and the author of Ordinary on Purpose, Surrendering Perfect and Finding Beauty Amid the Rubble. I think our conversation is going to be like salty peanuts. You're going to want to get Michaela's book to hear the rest of her story. Michaela, welcome to the Help and Hope podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sharon. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I feel privileged and honored, especially to have you, since I know that you are all about simplicity and ordinary, and your life is so full. Uh, It's just a privilege and an honor for me to share you with our listeners. Before we jump into our topic, tell us a little bit about your life. Sure. I am married 20 years to my high school sweetheart. We have five children. We just had birthday season, so I've got to get these ages right. They're now 17, 15, 12, 9, and 6. And they're all downstairs, so I'm hoping they'll stay quiet during our discussion time. I am a mostly stay-at-home now family practice doctor. So I work a couple shifts a month, just sort of maintaining my credentialing with the idea that perhaps one day I'll go back and work a little bit more. And I love to write. I just put out my first book in March called Ordinary on Purpose. Ordinary on Purpose. I love that title. I love, and the subtitle too, Surrendering Perfect and Discovering Beauty Amid the Rubble. And we're going to be talking about that. Why did you write this book? You, because you are so transparent. And, and I want to thank you and your husband for your willingness to just put it all out there because we need that hope when we see real people who are struggling, um, but they find a way toward wholeness and peace and joy. So why were you willing to write this book and why did you write this book? Sure. Um, It's interesting. I, when I started my blog, my husband said, Oh, blog away. He was just real supportive. And I think he never could have imagined 
how it would sort of snowball into to different things. But he's been so wonderful and has just said, you know, you write whatever you feel like you need to write. And he's been really supportive through the process. So I wrote Ordinary on Purpose because I think we're told by the messaging of the world that life should look a certain way, that it should be bright and shiny, and that we should try to make it look as perfect as possible. And it sort of gives this feeling that life happens somewhere out there. You know, once we get the bigger house or the better car on these fancy vacations or something we're always striving toward. And when I looked around at my own life, I think my own life feels pretty ordinary and often pretty messy and many times very hard. And I just spend my days with kids and all the pets and driving people around and going to the grocery store. And there's a lot of beauty there, I think. For a little while, that was the life that I didn't think I would have. And so I just wanted to write a book that's pointing out the beauty of those ordinary moments. I love that, the beauty in the rubble, because sometimes we do feel that way about our lives, that it's just, uh, we look around. I mean, even today, as I was getting ready for our, our conversation, I was running through the house and I thought, oh, this house is so messy <laughs> right now. How did it get that way? There are only two of us living here. And I, I can't wait to take at least 20 minutes to go and pick up everything and straighten up everything. And I will look for some beauty while I do that because of our conversation. But your life wasn't always ordinary. I mean, it was, it was ordinary probably, but you weren't striving for ordinary. You were striving for perfection. What happened in your life that started opening up your eyes to something is wrong here? Something is wrong with, with what I'm striving after? Yeah, I, I think like everybody, I wanted a perfect life. And I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing down here. And I really thought that I was in control of that. That if I just sort of made the right choices along the way and I lined up all the pieces just right, then I could have whatever kind of life I wanted. And that for me was going to be the perfect marriage and the perfect career and the perfect family and sort of the perfect balance of all of those things. And then somewhere in the middle of early marriage and early motherhood and all that striving, my husband got hooked on drugs and alcohol. And my work as a family practice doctor, as in residency at the time, uh, was really breaking me. It was much harder than I thought it would be. I, I mean, I'd heard that. Of course, I'd heard it was going to be hard. But of course, I thought, well, I'll, I'll be fine. I should be able to do that. <laughs> and at the same time, I had two little kids who were little, three and one. And suddenly, it was just all breaking down. It was just all crumbling. And so I got to the point where, you know, with enough pain and enough brokenness, we become willing to change. I don't know that it really was a choice, but sort of a necessity. Well, your husband, his journey with addiction is a big part of that. And you describe in your book of how when he was in rehab, you had really a lot of hard choices to make about yourself, about who you were and your own independence and your own capabilities. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I he was actively using for the first seven years of our marriage. And I spent a lot of that time trying to fix things and trying to make it easier for him and for us and thinking, you know, 
I could carry it all. And that if we could just get to, you know, out of school, if we could just get maybe once we started a family or something. And I did sort of have to come to this realization that I wasn't going to be able to fix it for him. And that that probably meant that I wasn't going to be able to fix it for us together. And so I describe in the book this, I think when I think back, that was the surrender moment when I decided he he might die from this. He's probably going to die from this. And we probably aren't going to have a life together. And deciding to turn that over and deciding that I probably would be okay. However, that went. And I didn't know what that would look like, but I just had this piece of like, I can't carry all of it, but I can begin to make decisions for me and the things that I can control. And that surrender moment did not change anything (laughs) right away. It did not make it all better from there. And it was not the beginning of happily ever after, but I do think it sort of changed my mindset. And so over the next months and years, it did change me and my husband was on his own journey. And I'm so grateful that he is in sobriety now, but um, we very much had to sort of start walking parallel and separate. Yeah. I appreciated you saying that, that you had to realize I could, if something happens, I can do this. Not, not that you by yourself could do it, but that you, your dependency on your husband, because you said he was your childhood sweetheart, your high school sweetheart. So all of life has been lived with him. And the idea of losing him had to be terrifying for you. But to come to that point, you were forced to find out, I can make the decisions. I can figure this out with our children. And how do you think that makes you stronger now in your marriage? Well, our marriage is in such a great place now, but I do think that during that time, I did live alone for six months. He lived in a three-quarter way recovery house for six months. And so I did have the opportunity to have sort of a taste of what that would be like, um, where I did manage the house alone and I did manage the kids alone and I was doing the bills and we moved into a house at that time that I could afford on my own. And so I sort of had this just practice time of, oh, I think I could manage that and it would be hard and I could find these other support systems. And I think that carries over to today. We're very much a partnership. And yet I think both of us really have the realization that we choose to be here, that that it's not such a a dependency. I remember Mm -hmm. after our 16-year-old son, Mark, was killed in a car accident, I've realized it took a while, took a long while that no matter what happened ever again, that God would sustain me. That because my life had been my husband, I was so dependent on him. Mm-hmm. He's a pastor and he was the one that could always fix things and always make things better. And he was broken. He was totally broken too. And yeah. his grief. And I had to turn to the Lord completely and totally. And and even though that it was horrific and it was horrible, there is a freedom. When you realize he met me there, he met yeah. me in the darkest, most horrible place, and I'm still breathing, and I'm finding purpose, and I'm experiencing joy. And I think that also frees up your spouse, that they don't sure. feel like you are sucking the life out of them sometimes, right. you know, so dependent that you know they know they have a freedom too, that she'll be okay. 
if something happens to me, she's going to be okay because of the grace and the strength that God gives us in those moments. So out of the darkness does come some light and some, some priceless treasures that make us stronger than we thought we could be before that. So I, I appreciate you talking about that. And I think that should give hope. Yeah. I love how you say that because I think that, that that was something that I had put on my husband. You're ruining this for us. You're ruining our family. You're ruining my life. Mm. And I think when he did have that sort of space, like, oh, I think she's going to be okay. (laughs) It kind of changed things because he wasn't carrying so much, I think. And then he really realized like, I am on my own journey here. And so, yeah, there is a lot of freedom there. And I hope that that's something that I've learned so that I'm not placing it. Then on the next thing, like my children, you know, motherhood is my thing and I want my kids to be a certain way or whatever comes along. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. We have to be really intentional, don't we? Every day, every day we have to be thinking about it and stopping and thinking, what am I pressure? Am I putting on somebody else that they don't, they don't need to carry this in sure. a funny way. You talk a lot about an ordinary life, that you just want an ordinary life. You mentioned it earlier. We live in a culture, if we're on social media, everybody's perfect. The pictures are perfect. The makeup is perfect. Women are ageless. The houses are gorgeous. I mean, they don't look like mine looks right now. <laughs> they are. Everything is in its place. They're perfectly uh, color coordinated. Everything is so very perfect. And that comes across as what's ordinary. Why do you think it is that we strive toward that kind of perfection and compare that to how you would define ordinary? Yeah, I think we're just surrounded by all those really carefully curated photos and lives. And I think we talk about it a lot. We talk about the highlight reel, and yet it's still there, I think. And when ours doesn't look that way, we can come across just millions of articles and posts and pins about how maybe we could improve and how we could do better and how we could be smarter and thinner and everything should also be really easy. I love the idea of simple living. And yet sometimes that feels like another shiny picture, right? That everything should be simple and everything should be easy. And I think that's why I was drawn to the word ordinary because Ordinary leaves room for a little bit of mess Mm. and hard and things that don't turn out, you know, because that's life. That's just regular living. And so I'm a little careful about that simple living. I'm really drawn to that, you know, that if we could just pare out all those things, that life would somehow be simpler. But I don't know if that's true because life just in and of itself isn't all that simple. Yeah, it is. It's you're right. I, I think that's a very good way of putting it. Ordinary means it's going to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be hard. How has your view of ordinary? And I, I like what you're. I like the differentiation between being like a minimalist. Um, right. That's every everything clean and clear. And I will never be that person ever. <laughs> but it would not give me a warm fuzzy feeling to walk into <laughs> home and have that. I love it in somebody else's home. It's great. Yeah. But me. I like the pictures and the clutter and all that kind of stuff um, around me to a degree. Yeah. (laughs) As I just said earlier, but how has that influenced your parenting and the kind of home that you have? And you talk about in your book about the size of your home and those kinds of things. So how does what 
how we um, put a uh, like a flag in the ground and say this is this is what I'm pursuing. But how does ordinary influence those major areas of your life? I think especially in parenting, I'd like yeah. to. Yeah, I actually would call myself a little bit of a minimalist. Like I wear the same pair of shoes every day. Mm -hmm. Every day I wear the same pair of shoes. And when I went to get new shoes the last time, I got the same one. Yeah. (laughs) So I actually like Mm -hmm. not having a lot of choices sometimes, like just streamlining my own things. It's just the idea, I think, of easy that that, um, hits me. And so for us and for me, I think it would look different for everybody, but we live within our means. So we don't live in the biggest home that we can afford. Um, and we don't, I just don't think we're very extravagant people. And for me in parenting, it comes down to what can we manage in our lives? So my kids are not in every single thing that they could be in. We've definitely tried different things and then we've gotten in over our heads and then we've had to scale back. And so I think it's just a back and forth. And for me, it's like looking at something and holding it up and being like, is this adding to my life? Is this where I want to spend my time? And if it's not, trying to put it on the back burner. And for me, that means career, which has been really tricky. And so I still struggle there a lot, uh, especially now my, my youngest is going to kindergarten. And so that question of, well, what are you going to do next year with all the kids in school is asked of me a lot. And I do have to kind of come back to my own piece, I think, and, and what fits and what is about my well-being and what is about sort of the shiny. And I, I think it's a constant struggle. And it's, it's unique to each person. Each person, For sure. you know, each person has to make that decision and choice. And in this culture, we have so many choices it seems. And they're all good. Yeah. But not all good for us. Uh, good for right. someone else, but, but not good for us. So for me, I was just going to say ordinary for me is about being a little bit more intentional and also just noticing. So there are a lot of things that I don't have choices about, or there's a lot of the day that is just how the day goes. And I think being present and sort of noticing those things uh, is how I manage to stay grounded and rooted in ordinary life. So if something unexpected happens, it's not the end of the world. It's, it, this is ordinary. This is life and we'll figure out a way. We'll, we'll do a workaround somehow to, to keep us on, on that steady path. Right. And those ordinary things still come up even in the middle of tragedy, right? Like we're still making food and cleaning it up and tending to our people and just kind of the the stuff of life that hasn't changed ever, um, I think is there. And when we notice it, we sort of realize like there is a path through, I've been here before type of thing. I can't remember where I read recently about, I read this really great article, this woman who had just been at a funeral and it was a loved one. And she wrote something sort of a little bit witty and funny about how the whole time she had to go pee. And she was thinking, I hate that right now in this terrible moment, like I got to go to the bathroom. And then she had to run in and go to the bathroom. And she was, I think she used the word ordinary, like this, this ordinary thing, right? All those things kind of keep, you keep living. Yeah. It doesn't seem appropriate 
Right. Right. It's, I remember after the death of our um, son, our, my brother-in-law came over and he said, it doesn't feel right that the sun is shining. It doesn't feel right that life is, it's like people are going to work and they're going shopping. And I want to tell everybody, you need to stop. This is, you need to just stop. But you talk about finding beauty in the rubble, finding beauty in the ordinary. So what, how would you find beauty? Like what you just described, like in the middle of tragedy, you're still, there's still ordinary things that have to happen. What, can you think of something in your own life where you thought this is a gift from God? that he has sent me in the middle of this ordinariness that I, I have no choice but to live through. Yeah, I think my kids were probably the biggest thing mm-hmm. that got me through that time because they just still kept being kids and they still kept needing things. And I was still changing diapers and, you know, going to the store with them and them sitting in the cart in the front, you know, and I, I think that when you're in the middle of that time, it's like you've entered this little bubble and the world has slowed down around you and you're noticing things. And so I've heard people say that before when you're in a tragedy, like sometimes the the things of the world just seem a little bit brighter. Like it seems bluer outside or sunnier, or I'm really noticing like the look of my son's eyelashes and things. So I think that that has to be God's presence in your life, just reminding you that you're not alone. One of the uh, gifts that God gave to us with in the loss of our son, Mark, was a passage from Isaiah 45, where he says, he says it to an unbelieving king, but I always thought if he says it to him, then he's saying it to me too, because he's saying, I'm going to give you treasures in the darkness, riches stored in secret places so that you will know I am the Lord, your God, the one who calls you by name. And for me, the treasures in the darkness, you know, those you you just kind of alluded to it. They're things that you're seeing that you would not see in the light, those treasures and hidden in secret places, you know, that it's almost like you have to go into the darkness to experience these precious jewels that God wants to give you. When I had breast cancer, that first came to mind and I thought, I know he's not saying he's going to make me better. I, I know that that's not a promise he's making. So why is he sending me these treasures? And he says, so that you will know I'm the Lord, your God, I'm sovereign. And I call you by name. I'm right there with you. I'm holy other, but I'm right there with you. I know your name. And those treasures mean nothing to other people, but you know, this is the Lord. He sent this to me to remind me he's right here with me right now. And you talk in your book about a few times where you felt really alone and desperate and God showed up in a way that just transformed your heart in those moments. Can you share one of those or a couple of those instances with us? I think that was the biggest thing for me. And I have the ability to look back now, I think, and sort of look at those times in different ways. But I think until I was really in the darkness. I tended to use God as a lifeline, like just, you know, for the most part, if I can go things alone, if I can manage things alone, then I shouldn't really bother him. God was really separate to me. It was something maybe I did on Sunday or, and I think that when you're there in the darkness, just like you describe, it was this realization. I'm not alone. I actually have never been alone one minute in my life. And so Going through that, I was able to look 
back, I think at other times, even as a young child, I write my book about childhood sexual abuse. And I think most of my growing up, it just felt like I was by myself on just the journey, whatever this life was, I was just trying to manage it all alone. And I think I can look back now and realize that even then, even in that pain and even in that trauma, I was not by myself. And so that was probably the most powerful thing for me to write. And I wrote that chapter just for me first, because I write to a younger version of me and to realize that I wasn't by myself. Um, I've put a little bit about that out, out there before I wrote the book. And I've had readers say, that's really hard for me because, you know, why didn't God stop those things from happening? And that is really hard. But I think to know that I was never abandoned, I was never left alone, that I've always been loved and held, uh, that's been life-changing for me. It's wonderful to hear you say that and reference that because that really is a bedrock promise of scripture right from the very beginning in Genesis when God made the promise of the Redeemer who was going to come. What, what did he say to Abraham? I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. And that promise, tells God tells us in Galatians in the New Testament, the promises that I made to Abraham, they are your promises when you know Jesus. And so that has helped me too. Really, Michaela, when I've, you know, in the darkest moments, that one promise, nothing else makes sense. It's the same thing as, okay, but if he was there, then why that car accident? You know, that doesn't, right. there are some things I'm never going to get the answers to, and the answers would never satisfy me anyway, as a mother, but that, so you, you, you come to that moment of this is, this is what I'm putting everything into is this promise of his presence. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Never, ever, ever. Uh, what that looks like may look different than what we would wish for, but there's sure. incredible comfort there to know that he is right there with us. And you write, and listeners, I want to tell you, Michaela writes beautifully about this in her book. It's very touching and it's very, I resonate with the powerfulness of that, those moments, those treasures that God has given to her in her journey. As we are going to wrap up in a few minutes, you talk about our messy, ordinary lives, but in the middle of it, Jesus is perfect. What what do you mean by that? And how can we have comfort in knowing this? We're not perfect. Jesus is perfect. How does that give comfort? Yeah, I think that it just sort of takes us off the hook, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to get it all figured out and we don't even have to make all the right decisions all the time. We don't have to be without sin. Our lives don't have to look any particular way. But I think knowing what we just talked about, that I'm, I'm not alone, but I, I have this partnership, this person who cares so much about my life and even the small ordinary things I do and my well-being and my heart. I think it just takes a lot of the pressure off for how we're supposed to look or how we're supposed to turn out or what we're supposed to do with our lives. I think it's okay to say, I don't know, or I messed that up. I think it just takes you off the hook for all that noise that we're hearing all the time from the world about how life should look or what's right or what's wrong or, you know, all that arguing, I think that's going on right now. I think I can come back to that relationship that I have now 
with Jesus who will not ever leave me and who loves me more than I can even imagine. And so like you described, it's almost like I don't have to really be afraid of whatever comes. It might really hurt, but I will not be left alone. And I think for me, that was a huge takeaway from the loss of our son too. I know whatever happens, the Lord has, he's kept his promises to me and he will always keep his promises. He can't lie. The Bible tells us that he can't lie. He keeps his promises. And, and another comfort that maybe someone needs to hear too, though, I took great comfort in is that in Hebrews 11, the, which is called the hall of faith. And they, it's like a history of humanity, but it talks about Abraham and others who they died believing the promises, the promises had not been kept yet, but they believed them. And it's very comforting to me to know that I think there are some promises that I will see fulfilled in heaven that, you know, that because our hearts are broken, there's, there will always be tears here, but there won't be tears in heaven. And uh, so there are promises that we can wait for, for that moment when we see him face to face. And the idea of the comfort of the comfort of knowing that, I mean, I'm 74 years old. And so I've lived a long life. And, but recently, uh, over the past year, I was reviewing some things in my life. And I felt very convicted about some things I had done, my heart attitude, the way I treated certain people. I felt so guilty and so awful about it. And so went to the Lord with this and, you know, said, please, Lord, forgive me. And I realized he had already forgiven me. And even though he knew my heart, he knew all about me way back then, he still has blessed me incredibly throughout my life. It was just one of those moments of, I don't deserve this forgiveness and this presence. And yet you have forgiven me of my sins and you have welcomed me as your, as your child. It's, it's really very difficult to grasp that at times, but it's, isn't it so powerful and it carries us through some of our darkest moments. So Kayla, you have been such an encouragement to me. And I'm just thinking about that one person who might be listening right now who's saying, man, I want that peace that she seems to have. But my life is in such turmoil. Maybe she has a a spouse who is um, in rehab or hasn't recognized a need for help uh, or a wayward child or something that is just rocking her world and she doesn't know where to go. Can you just briefly just share encouragement to her? Yeah, I think that's the one thing about writing this book and and writing it from a place where my husband is in recovery now. And I didn't want it to sound like I was there and then something happened and now I'm here and I've got it all figured out now and everything's great. And if you just do these things, you'll be right there. And I've had many people reach out and say, my story didn't go that way. I didn't have that ending. And I think that the idea that it's going to be okay in a way that maybe you hadn't imagined, letting go of sort of the way we we think it's supposed to go or it should go or what would be the happily ever after to this story and deciding to be present in and find beauty in the life that you have. It sounds a little bit defeatist, I think, to say that like, well, this is it. But in many ways, there's such a freedom and a peace there. And I think that's the beauty amid the rubble part. 
I think I'm still standing firmly in rubble sometimes. And I wrote a chapter in the book about the messy middle because I wanted to make sure that that was kind of the lasting message. I, I still have five children who are growing up through teenage years and that I'll have to parent even into adulthood. And I just imagine all the messes that are yet to come. Uh, and so really leaning on that partnership that I have with God in that peace that I found and keeping my eyes open to the ordinary, to those, those treasures in the darkness that you talked about is how somehow we can all walk through it. So I just hope that I can offer encouragement to her that in many ways, we're all in the messy middle or we'll have moments standing on the mountaintop and there will be valleys yet to come. Right. And so let's keep our eyes open for the beauty and the rubble. And we're sure to see it. You're right that it has been promised. Thank you so much, Michaela. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your ordinary middle of the rubble life uh, <laughs> to share with us the hope of the gospel through your story. It's so precious to be. My guest has been Dr. Michaela Albertson. I am so grateful that she has written this book called Ordinary on Purpose, Surrendering Perfect and discovering beauty amid the rubble. And I hope that our conversation is gonna act like salty peanuts that you just wanna hear more. And I highly recommend that you get a copy of her book. We will have a link to where you can get it, although you can get it anywhere, but we'll have a link in the show notes of how you can learn more about Michaela. Her story is powerful and we're so grateful. I'm Sharon Betters, and this is the Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And I want to encourage you to go to markinc.org, where you're going to find lots of free resources like this one, lots of redemption stories where people step back into their own brokenness in order to encourage us as we walk similar pathways. So that's markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. Again, I'm Sharon Betters. Thanks so much for joining us. And I hope you let us know how these stories are encouraging you to walk by faith. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.